Good morning to everyone. It's good to see you. It's good to see so many that were here this weekend. Thank you for the good support in this study. It's a privilege of mine to get to come here to this church and to spend time with the people here. And if you're here for the first time this weekend and it's the Lord's Day morning and you've set aside this time for God, I hope that you feel encouraged already in the songs that we've led together. And I hope that the study of God's word leads you through this week with purpose. Acts chapters 1 and 2 will be our focus for all three of the lessons we will be putting together this morning. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We'll get into some reading in just a moment. Before we do that, just a little bit about what we've covered so far. There are six lessons we have the opportunity to engage in together. We've kind of split that in half. So everything up to this morning was three lessons designed for self-reflection. They were all about each person looking to themselves. They were not about the church. They're not about the structure or what we're doing together. They're just about you. And I hope that you've had some chance this weekend to consider, am I a taker? Am I a keeper? Am I a giver? Who am I? What am I about? The idea of whether or not you've died to Christ. Have you ended any life that isn't a Jesus-centric life? Each person has to evaluate if that's what happened when you were baptized into Christ. And then yesterday we finished with this idea of who's in the middle of the cup. Like when it really comes down to the decisions that you and I are making, who is that really about? And so all of that was very individual in its nature. And so now as we move into today's studies, we turn towards us, towards this concept of the church and what the church is to be and what it's built upon. And you can't do any better than that than to be in Acts chapters one and two, looking at these fundamentals of the church. And that's what we'll do together. A lot of this may be a nice reminder for you as we move through in Acts one and two. But as we do so, I hope that you're able to consider two very specific things. So let me say that and then we need to jump Right in. I'm on the clock. You know, the morning when you get on the clock, everybody goes, yeah, you are on the clock. I was here yesterday and you are now on that clock. Okay. So two things going on in Acts 1 and 2 I want you to think about. The first one is evangelism. If nothing else comes out of this bit of study we're about to do together, I hope that when you leave today, you think, you know, Acts 1 and 2 would be great to talk to a friend about. There are a lot of things that we can teach about the church just from these two chapters. Did you know that your religious friends and neighbors, they want to know about things like the Holy Spirit and the Bible. Things like belief and its relationship to baptism. Things like the church. What is the church and what is this fellowship idea that church members are always talking about? All of that right here in these two chapters, and it's a wonderful place to start. So there are two reasons that I'm bringing this series to you this morning. One is a purely evangelistic concept that you can put into your life, but there is a second thing. The second thing is quite different than that, but I believe it's something that all Christians need to consider. This text is not just about converting other people in the world. It is also about considering the state of the Lord's church today. How many of you have heard the term spiritual, but not religious? The spiritual, but not religious movement used to be out there. Out there in the religious world, you'd hear, well, my, it's all really about this. It's about God and me and my prayer life to God and my relationship with God. It's not so much about people. It's not about going to church and sitting in the pew at 9 a.m. It's not about daily Bible study. That's all old school stuff. That's antiquated. That stuff doesn't work anymore. And it was the world that was saying junk like that, that it's all about vertical worship and not horizontal relationships. Folks, that's not out there anymore. 
I'm hearing stuff like that among members of the Lord's church. The younger generation, they show up at church because their parents say they've got to go to church and maybe they keep hearing about Bible read, but they don't do a lot of Bible reading and it's happening in and amongst our people. And what's really wild about it, wild, is this concept was pre-COVID. Maybe we don't need church. Maybe we don't need to be in worship. Maybe we don't need to do all those old things. And then out of nowhere, we just shut down all the churches. I understand. I was there too. We just closed the doors. We said, you know what, let's try it out. Let's not worship for a while. Let's just sit at home and be godly. And I understand what we were doing. I understand. But you need to be concerned about the ripple effects of what the devil's trying to do. And one of those ripples effects is people aren't coming back. And some of the people who are coming back are like, why am I, you know, I was just as good last year as I am this year. And I think we're losing the concept of the tangible Bible-centric, I don't care how old the book is, it's still the center of our lives. And I know that the pews, you know, it's kind of old school to kind of gather in worship, but God's people gather in worship. And they're, let me just say it this way, or I'll lose all my time in the intro. This can't exist. Let me, let me give it, let me go very visual here. I'm gonna use my hands for the first time this weekend. This cannot exist, you you with me, you with me, unless this exists and this exists as we stand and sing. (laughs) All right, now to get into that, we need to do, we're going to do a lot of more technically stuff, but really that's the impetus for this study. And so I want to start with the idea of this, of this book and your relationship with it and how it can never be replaced. And to help with that, we're just right here in Acts 1 and 2, and I want to read a bit about the Holy Spirit and what he was doing. So you ought to know the setting. Everybody needs to be in Acts 1. You ought to know a bit about the setting. Uh, Luke has written two letters. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, where we got to see Jesus living and preaching and teaching. And then at the end of the Gospel of Luke, these 11 apostles watch Jesus ascend into heaven, and they're told to go to Jerusalem. So let's pick up on that story. I want to begin in Acts 1 and verse 1 and just start reading, and we'll just see how far we go. The first account I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering, verse 4, gathering them together He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, verse 6, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, but you... But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And after he, Jesus, had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. One more verse. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. All right, let's jump in. 
A big thing that happens in those 11 verses is Jesus promises the fulfillment, look in verse 5, of this huge promise. The fulfillment of this grand promise that he was going to send the Holy Spirit from heaven to earth to fill men and edify their teaching and their work. So I want to begin with a point to make. Number one, I want to make this observation. You know, it's interesting. I have a series of things to share with you today. And the very last point I make this morning may make you go, hmm. And if there's any other that fits in that category, it might be this one. You might be like, I don't know. What are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that the promise that Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would fall on people and give them knowledge was a promise given to the apostles and only the apostles. That's what I'm saying. And here's some evidence for that. You say, well, I don't know. Maybe others received this great gift and others had this ability. I don't believe that's true. And so I want to try to prove that to you. First of all, I hope you have a pen or a pencil you're not afraid to use today. Because if you have that, if you're in Acts 1, I want you to know that it was the apostles in that entire context. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 2, the Bible says, He had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3, to these, circle that, appearing to them, verse 3, that's the apostles, gathering them, verse 4, that's the apostles. In fact, you can track this whole line of thought for 11 verses. He's appearing to the apostles, he's promising it to the apostles, and they are the ones who would receive it. Now, as you get to the end of Acts 1, you know that they had to select a 12th guy. So they go through this process of deciding who will replace Judas and the lot falls to Matthias. And in verse 26 of chapter one, it ends with Matthias joining. Do you see it at the end of chapter one? The 11 apostles. So let's start Acts two and see what happened. In Acts two and in verse one, when the day of Pentecost had come, they, who are they? Chapter one, verse 26, the 11 apostles and Matthias. They were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them and they were all filled. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterances. Now you may not know where we're going with this yet, but it doesn't matter where we're going yet. We're just observing doctrinal truth. And the doctrinal truth is these 12 men received that gift. When we move throughout the text, look in chapter 2 and verse 14. When it came time to work the works of the Spirit, chapter 2, verse 14, it was the apostles who started speaking because the apostles are the ones upon whom the Holy Spirit fell. In chapter 2 and in verse 43... In chapter 2 and verse 43, when miracles started taking place, it was the apostles through whom miracles took place. In fact, go to chapter 5, verse 12. Check that out. Chapter 5, verse 12. We've got thousands of Christians now. And yet in chapter 5 and verse 12, it was at the hands of these apostles that the preaching was being done, Acts 2, Acts 3. And it was at the hands of the apostles that miracles were taking place. In fact, the first non-apostle miracle is in Acts 6 after the apostles laid their hands on men. And they, they took the gift that came through the baptism and they were able to disseminate that gift through the laying on of hands. This is a really big deal. You say, who cares? This is huge. Because it means that from the very beginning, I'm just going to move this book right here for a moment. From the very beginning, truth was not up here somewhere. 
And it just fell on you and it fell on you and then you knew the truth and it fell on you and you knew the truth. And then it just like fell on churches and everybody just had the truth. It from the very beginning fell on a very small collection of men and they alone had it and no one else did until they spoke it and shared it or wrote it. Now, I wanna make sure that you're on board with me here. So I'd like for you to go back to John 14. There are some verses in John 14, 15, 16 that get quoted quite a bit. I think in the evangelical kind of new movement, charismatic movement, there are people who go to John and they're like, this is what happens at our church. This is what happened to me. And I'll just give you some quick verses. So stick with me. I can email these notes to Stephen if you want and, and you can have them. In John 14, 26, the helper, John 14, 26, when the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus said, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Somebody says, that's what happened to me. The Holy Spirit came and brought into my mind all remembrance of how to live. You see how my, my worship's going this way. Chapter 15 and verse 26. Chapter 15 and verse 26, Gospel of John. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you, Jesus says, from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And people say, that's what's happening. Jesus is giving him to me and he's telling me things and he's leading me. The best known of all those verses is 16:13, John 16, 13. I probably could have just jumped to that one. And John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. He will guide you into all that. You don't need church. You don't need a Bible. He's just gonna guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he's gonna tell you what is to come. John 16, 13, do you know where Jesus was when he said all of that? Everything I just read, do you know where he was? He was sitting at a table or he'd gotten up and walked outdoors from that table, but he was sitting at a table with whom? The apostles, the 12, it became 11 when Judas left, but the apostles and Luke 22 will help us with this. Go to Luke 22. When he sat down at that table and he said, the Spirit's coming. I'm sending the Spirit to you. The Spirit will guide you. In Luke chapter 22, verse 1, Luke 22 and verse 1, he is at that feast, just like da Vinci painted 1,500 years later. He's at that feast. And in Luke chapter 22 and in verse 1, we see that. And as you move to verse 14, what does it say? Luke twenty two fourteen. 14, he was reclining at the table with his apostles. So here's my initial argument. Jesus left and he sent the Holy Spirit to guide men into all the truth. A-L-L, every bit of truth you're ever going to need for your whole life. But he didn't just generally throw it down upon the earth. He gave it to those 12 men. He promised it to those 12 men only. In Acts 1 and 2, only those 12 men received it. When it came time to preach, those 12 men did the preaching. When it came time to work miracles, those 12 men worked the miracles until they began to disseminate through the laying on of hands. So it sounds to me like if you were a first century Christian and you wanted to know how to get to heaven, you probably need to talk to those 12 men. Those guys are going to be like, all right, you want to know? I'm going to show you exactly how, and I'm going to work some miracles to help you know it. Now, somebody may come back and say, and our time is limited today, but somebody may say, well, I'm not a... I'm not like an Acts 2 gifted guy, because those are the apostles. I'm more like an Acts 10 gifted guy. Uh, you know, like uh, the Cornelius, right? Well, but Cornelius, though. Cornelius was a Gentile, and Cornelius received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and Cornelius received all of this. That's simply not true. All that we know of Cornelius is that he was the first Gentile convert, which you and I are not. Also, we know that he received the ability straight from heaven to speak in tongues. We don't know if he received any other abilities than that. 
We don't know if he had those abilities for any duration. I do not believe Cornelius was baptized with the promise of the Holy Spirit because he wasn't promised the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 10, it was limited. And so what I would say in Acts 10 is that was a limited case for the initiation of the gospel and it was just the speaking of tongues. And speaking of tongues, if that's gonna happen to you, we'll talk more about that in just a moment. All right, so number one is really important and there's a grander study there. But somebody may come back and say, well, okay, maybe I'm not like a first century gifted person. I'm not the apostle of Peter or James, but you know, I'm an apostle of another kind. Did you know there are apostles today? Who, who, did, who knew when they got here today that there are apostles today? That there are people who, there are apostolic churches. There are megachurch people talking about appointing uh, pastors who are also apostles. People say, well, maybe the Holy Spirit, this is really, this is the way men think, right? Okay, I get you. The Holy Spirit only is baptized upon apostles. Therefore, I am an apostle. Therefore, I am, okay, nice reasoning. But the problem is that only eyewitnesses of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus can be apostles. Uh, a few years ago, I was in Dallin Road, and we were doing a radio program off-site, a uh, little radio deal that Max and I did, and we were talking about alcohol and abstinence and comparing modern-day alcohol to first-century alcohol, etc. And we got done, we took the headset off, and there was a knock on our door, like one of those little eggshell doors. We were in one of those little rooms. Boom, boom, boom. And I opened the door, and this rather large man walks in that I don't know, and he's bald and big, and he says, listen, I want you guys to know I was listening to your program, and I totally disagree with you. If Jesus drank wine, I can drink beer, blah, 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 blah. So we start talking about it, and I'm like, man, I don't know where you're coming from, but I don't, I don't think you're right about this, and I think that you're, you may be biased in your perspective. And we're like five minutes in, and he goes, listen here, I am an apostle. And I was like, dude, you should have opened with that, because to me, <laughs> to me, that's a game changer. And it would be if he was, but he ain't. He's not. And, and there are a couple ways that we, we know that. First of all, go back with me to our text and let's just look at the text. Who can be an apostle? Who can receive the direct revelation according to promise? Well, you know, because in Acts 1 and 21, they needed to pick a 12th apostle. So we find out who gets to be one. And in Acts 1, let's look in verse 21. Uh, Peter said this, he had 120 plus gathered in this room. They needed to pick one. They needed God to pick one, better language. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of us must become a, look at it, witness with us of his resurrection. They put forth Joseph, who was Bersabbas and Matthias, and they prayed, you, Lord, know, and they drew lots, verse 26, and through the avenue of lots, God chose Matthias and Matthias was added. So I know you've heard this before, but I just want to remind you. Three criteria to becoming an apostle. You had to have seen Jesus alive in his ministry. You had to have seen Jesus alive again after the resurrection because you're a witness of it. A witness. We throw that word around today. Like if you're a witness, what did you see? And they have to be selected by God. That means no one today is an apostle by that definition. They can't backdoor their way into the promises of God. Now, someone will say, I'm not a Peter apostle, I'm a Paul apostle. I get it. I wasn't one of those, but I'm like the apostle Paul. I came later. I was born out of due season. I am the apostle to the Americas. And so later, I'm not like that. I'm more like Paul. Well, if I go to Acts 9 and I read the story of Paul, what am I going to find out about Paul? Saul of Tarsus. Remember him? I'm going to tell you three things about that guy. That guy saw Jesus while Jesus was alive. In Acts 
9 and verse 17, during one of the three times his conversion story is told, we also learn that he saw Jesus who appeared to him. He saw him alive again. And I'd like to think God selected him somewhat miraculously in that he was blinded instantly and stayed blind for three days. We are not him and we will never be that. And so this concept that God is selecting special people today to disseminate is not right. And it's the devil's work and all it's really doing is it's distancing us from this. That's what these false ideas do. Now, maybe somebody says, well, you know, at our church, there's actually evidence that what you're saying is wrong here. Like, I can prove to you that the Spirit is falling upon us, and I can prove to you that He is working this way, and that we don't always need that book. And it's through tongue speaking. We have a tongue speaking church, and people are able to speak in tongues, which is what Cornelius was able to do. So if you're making the Cornelius argument, I'd like to hear some tongue speaking, because that would be part of your evidence. But what we learn in the very beginning of the church is that tongue speaking was never gibberish. It was never a recurrence of sounds that just so happened to fit sounds that you know or uttered as a child. It is always speaking in a known language. Go to Acts 1. Let's take a look. In Acts 1, these men join the fellowship of the work. And now if you've got your pencil, you may need it. When you go to Acts 2, when you go to Acts 2, verse 3, it says these tongues. I would have you circle some words. Acts 2. These tongues of fire distributed with them upon them. Verse 4, they began to speak with other tongues. Well, what is that? What does that mean? Verse 6, they were hearing them speak in his own language. Circle tongues, verse 3. Tongues, verse 4. Own language, verse 6. Verse 8, in our own language. Verse 11, our own tongues. Look, we don't have all morning to dissect all of this, but tongue speaking in the first century was the ability for a Galilean uneducated fisherman to just start reciting Parthian dictation in perfect tone. And they're like, how is this fisherman speaking the, the words of my homeland, of the Parthians or, or of those from, from these other countries? And then another fisherman gets up and just starts interpreting it. He goes, well, here's what he's saying. And he starts reciting it. And they're going, you're crazy. Fishermen just uttering gibberish and making stuff up. And this Parthian goes, well, actually, actually, that was perfect. And actually, that's exactly what he said. And all it was doing is it was drawing attention to these men so that when, verse 14, when these men started speaking, people would listen to them. Now, someone may say, well, you know, I'm not really like an Acts 2 tongue speaker. I'm more like a Corinthian church tongue speaker. Well, everybody's got a back door, right? There's always another place, you know, a derivative place. Well, just like Cornelius, just like the apostleship of Paul, you go to 1 Corinthians, absolutely nothing changes. The only difference is the apostles had laid hands on some, and some were now able to speak in other languages they didn't know. And some were now able to interpret languages that they did not know. And all it really did is it drew focus upon the fact that they were revealing truth in the name of God. And so if that's you... All these pastors and leaders, and if that's you, then prove it. People say that being a Christian is just some blind faith. I see nothing of the sort. I mean, if you are that guy, then work a miracle. Walk on water. Speak in other languages. But, of course, that's not the case. Now, what this ought to be doing for you, in addition to just laying down some doctrinal basics, what it ought to be doing is it ought to be saying, you know what? 
Those guys came in the first century and they had all the clout and all the evidence and all of the blessings of Jesus and they spoke stuff. And since that century, no one has ever had the clout. No one has ever had the gifts. No one has ever had the wisdom. So I probably need to pay pretty close attention to the words that are in this book. And I'm not going to find it in myself and I'm not going to find it in the preacher and I'm not going to find it in my parents and I'm not going to find it in that dude on TV. I'm only going to find it here. We've got to get back to loving and needing this word. Let me share with you something else. In Acts 2, in verse 14, everything that had happened so far had gotten everybody zoned in on what Peter had to say. And that's what I hope happens for you. I hope you wake up tomorrow and you're like, I need to read the things Peter had to say. Like, I need to read. Did you know there's eight, eight authors of the New Testament? eight authors, and every single one of those authors were either apostles or lived with those apostles and had the apostles lay their hands on them. Did you know that? Your entire New Testament, all 27 letters, follows the guidance of authority that we have here. Now, here's something really neat. A couple things we'll do, and we'll quit when we need to and pick it up in a a minute. But in, in Acts 2, verse 14... Peter, read this with me, it's very interesting. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be made known to you and give heed to my word. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken up through the prophet Joel. Now I'm going to read it, but I want you to note this. All of what God was doing had a big moment of reveal. What the Holy Spirit had been planning, it all culminated in one initial reveal. And that reveal is Acts 2. That reveals the day of Pentecost. And so he says this. He goes, look, remember what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my bond slaves, both men and women. And I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What an amazing read from the book of Joel. First of all, he was not talking about 2021 or any other time. When he said, in the last days I will pour forth of my spirit, he was talking about that day, God's big reveal, the day of Pentecost, when the spirit came down upon these men and ultimately was disseminated amongst those upon whom they laid their hands and was spread unto them. This is God's big reveal. If you want to know God's big reveal in your life, what's God's big reveal? What does God want me to do? What does God want me to believe? Where does God want me to go? Just know that that moment is not coming to you because it already came. It came already. It's here. That's good news. You don't have to wait for it. It's already here. And what we need to do is we get in these last five minutes. If we're going to get over this spiritual but not religious stuff, if we're going to get people back into church where they belong, we need to get every person committed to the fact that the reading of this word is the single most significant thing I can do every day of my life. Because it is here. It is initially here. It is ultimately here. And in many ways, in terms of revelation, it is only here. That God reveals to me the way. And so we're going to look at it in our next session. The way that he actually turns the moon to blood. What's that about? 
I don't want the moon turned to blood. Let me tell you, there are a lot of people here who need their moons turned to blood, okay, in the world and maybe in this room, who need their pride to be blackened out, who need the sun to fall from the sky, their sun and the way they live and what they think. Well, you need God to put a cloud over your sun, darken you intensely under the humility of your sin and your need for the Lord. I've got one more passage for you. Go with me in our text. Go with me in our text to 2 Peter. You've got to see 2 Peter. We'll finish with this. 2 Peter chapter 1. You guys know who Peter is. We just read about him. He was actually uh, that guy. He was promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. He received it. He was an eyewitness. He spoke in other languages. He's right in the center of it. And I want to share with you a couple of thoughts here, a couple of things. I have to do this first. No, let me go down. Let me start at the top. No, I'm just going to do it. Look at verses 1 through 4. I want you to see this. Peter. All right, so let me pick up in verse two. Peter writes this letter, Second Peter. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now I want you to, if you, we only have two minutes, but follow the pronouns, okay? There's you, Peter said, and there's us, you and us. Watch this. Seeing that his divine power has been granted to us, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust got a minute but here's the point i want to make god did not you look so nice today your tie looks nice your hair is fantastic god gave you none of what pertains to life and godliness you sir have been a christian for many years god did not give you what pertains to life and godliness this is a shepherd of this church to whom god did not give everything pertaining to life and godliness God gave the apostles, he gave them everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything you need to get to heaven, he gave to them. Everything this church needs to be, everything it needs to be, he gave to them. Verse four says, he gave it to us, us, verse one, the apostles. He gave it to us so that by our words, you can be everything God wants you to be. It's not this way, it's this way. It's always been that way. You're like, ah, oh, you're stretching that a little bit. I most certainly am not. Go to verse 16. Go to verse 16. I'll prove it to you. Verse 16. We, apostles, Peter, we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That wasn't you. That was the apostles. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we, who's we? We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Well, that's only Peter, James, and John, but it represents the apostles. Now watch this. This is the verse. So we, apostles, prophets, we have the prophetic word made more sure. Now, please, this is it. Whole impetus of the entire morning session right here to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Now, remember what Joel said? Joel said, I'm going to burn the sun out, turn the moon into blood. Watch this. You do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You know what this book's designed to do? Shut down whatever light you thought you had and create a new light in you that is sourced in Jesus Christ and his goodness in your life. He goes on to talk about prophecy, but know this first of all, et cetera, et cetera, which means this is, it's proven. The, ev- the evidence is there. I just want to say this, our time is up. I don't know if any preachers ever told you this before, but who cares? Preachers are just men. Probably we could do without them, but listen. 
If, if you would hear what I'm about to say, we might could. If you want to be right with God, if you want to grow in your faith, if you're interested in heaven, if you believe anything you've heard today, then you must, M-U-S-T, you must read this word every day. Every day. Every day. I mean, you know, every day that you'd like the light of the Lord burning in your life, that is. Every day that you want to know how to get to heaven, you need to be in this book. If we got more people in this book, we would eliminate most of the problems that come, even in the church, when there's lots of arguments and not very many opened Bibles. This is our source, and it all begins here. Thank you guys for your good attention. We'll take a few-minute break, and we'll come back.